Well, now I'm out of breath after listening to that guy. Um, I'm always aware of the holiness of the moment when I come uh, at the end of the music service, and I generally want to be very careful not to uh, sidestep what the Spirit is doing through the music service, but I have to comment on Brian's arm. Because when I first saw him this morning, I thought maybe he was one of those pro basketball players who just wears one sleeve with his dunking hand. So that's not it, huh? It's okay. All right, this morning, as we come to this time and the time that uh, will immediately follow, a couple of things to keep you informed about as we go forward. Uh, first of all, we'll do the Lord's Supper as part of this service. We do that when we gather together because I believe that that Part of us that is one church, we may meet separately in the, the worship services that we have, but we are one church. And when we come together to do the Lord's Supper, I think it's important for us to do that as the gathered body here. But neither do I want it to, to be not just avoid the division perception, but also want us to make sure that we don't just tack it on to a service and say, oh yeah, we do it because it's the fifth Sunday of a month. Uh, when we come to do this, it is a significant thing. So I don't tack it on to the back of the service, even though we will do this at the end of the sermon itself. Uh, this whole service points to what we do when we come together with the Lord's Supper. Also, at the end of this service, we'll go into a very brief called business meeting. Don't freak out. All it is is to vote on the proposed budget for next year. We have ballots for that. We'll pass them out. We'll let you register your opinion, and then uh, we'll go eat, which is the last part of it I wanted you to get to. I talk about the eating part uh, so that you'll continue to hope that I'll make this snappy so that you can get to the gumbo in the other building over there. I'm going to be in several passages of Scripture today. Let me go ahead and give you the first one, and you'll turn there. We'll get there in a little bit. Genesis chapter 32. Most of us, as we come into the Christmas season, which we are officially in now that Thanksgiving is behind us, when we come to the Christian, excuse me, the Christmas season, most of us have our favorite movies and our favorite Christmas stories and our favorite Christmas memories. Probably the one that makes the list as many uh, as any of the other ones do, and I'm not talking about just church people now, I'm talking about the general public, is Charles Dickens's adaptation of his story called Scrooge. Or we call it Scrooge anyway. A Christmas Carol, I think, is what the proper name is. But I like to talk about Scrooge. The title of the message was out on the uh, billboard, as you know, and one of my family members who shall remain unnamed, but her name rhymes with Teresa. <laughs> Saw the title of the sermon, Thanksgiving with Scrooge, and she said something like, oh, so you're going to talk about yourself this time. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know the story, and we you know, kind of condense it down into those visits of the Christmas past and the Christmas present and the Christmas future. And I, what I want to do is I want to take that tired old story 
and pull those three elements into what we do here today as we finish off Thanksgiving weekend and as we slide into the distraction of the Christmas shopping season. I want us to pause long enough to remember the significance of Thanksgiving in our lives. Scrooge begins with that backward look as he goes back to visit Christmas past. That points me backwards, by the way, to last week's message where I tried to nudge us as a body into looking backwards at those things in our lives and those times in our lives when God has definitively shown up for us. I know that God never just has to show up. He's always with us. But there seems to be those times in our life as we look backwards that God seems to be more real and more present with us than at other times. And many times, maybe most of the time, that seems to connect with the times in our lives when we are hurting the most. Not always that way, but it seems to be something of the case. And so as we come to look backwards... Uh, I want us to pause for a minute to do that. This Thanksgiving season, we kind of slide into doing that. But there's good biblical basis for us as we look at this. That takes me to Genesis chapter 32. Now, in Genesis 32, we have the account of, of this guy, excuse me, named Jacob, who is about to encounter his brother Esau. Now, Jacob was a deceiver. Matter of fact, that's what his name means and uh, he, he's kind of the guy who always is playing the angles to get one up on other people. And it's interesting at this point in the story, he's already done that and severed a relationship with his brother because of that approach to living. But he got the tables turned on him as he went to find a wife. And uh, we all know that story and how long it goes. So here's this guy, Jacob, now as he's making his way back. And he's going to make amends with his brother Esau. And in that time, just before they meet, we find this little thing tucked away, chapter 32 of Genesis and verse 10. I'll back it up to verse 9, even though what we have printed for you on the screen, I think is verse 10 only. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, by the way, all of those are backward looks. He's referring to this relationship that his fathers have had with God. And as he's looking backwards, he said, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Here's the thanksgiving past statement. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. It is thanksgiving tinged with humility. A very difficult thing for Jacob to get to, I suspect. And we continue reading that verse. And he says, For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. He looks backwards and he sees the hand of God in his life and through all of the deception, through all of the the uh, struggles of his life over the past 14 years at least, he sees the hand of God. Let's stop for a minute right there. And let me nudge you once again into that backward look. As you close out 2014, what do you have to be thankful for this year? I've done a little bit of reflection about our church 
and especially the year 2014? What do you have to be thankful for as you look backwards? Let's start with our church. What, what do we find here? Just gathered in this room today, what evidence do we have that God has said to us, I'm not finished with you yet? Now, I don't know how you registered. I think I'm comfortable in saying I think God blessed us by sending us a new staff member this year. I don't know about him, but we sure like his wife a lot. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the mix of doing things that we fail to look backwards. We fail to let God's activity in our past carry weight for us today. This church looked for a youth minister for a very long time. God brought us a man and his wife who have a heart for him. That's a great thing for a church to have. I could just walk down the line of what I think are blessings for us as a church over the past year, but I don't want to put that in your head specifically. I'd rather you do that exercise yourself today. I was in discussion with somebody this week about church that they attend. Not in this town. You wouldn't know the church probably. And they talked about how God took them away from a church that was in the middle of a bloody split this year. Aren't you grateful that we've made it through another year without a bloody coup in God's house? We don't have to look very hard. We don't have to look very deep to find evidence of the blessings that God has said of this people in this place. They're not perfect. Far from it. But they are my people. And I am still at work in the midst of those people. And so today as we look backwards, let's make sure that we acknowledge the hand of God in that. We gather here today with people who in the past 12 months have come to know Jesus Christ on a personal level. God is at work. And that's cause for us to thank him. Jacob looks backward and he says, among anything else, I was a nobody when I left. But my goodness, look what God has done to bring me to this point. Here's another one for you. It's in the book of Exodus. It's chapter 15. We all know the story of Moses and the children of Israel as they leave Egypt. But before they leave Egypt, they find themselves in this situation where they're not really sure what's going to happen. I'm going to come to some of that in just a moment. But after they get out of Egypt, they find themselves up against the Red Sea in front and Pharaoh's army behind. And they don't know what they're going to do, what's going to happen. And so God miraculously, regardless of what any movie might want to tell you, God miraculously parts the waters of that sea and they walk across on dry land. And then closes the waters over the Egyptian army who pursues them. And on the back side, this is the part of the Exodus story that we don't usually get to. On the back side of that experience, Moses looks backwards and he says, oh my goodness, what has God done here? Well, that's not really what he says. Moses apparently sings it or he writes the music for somebody because in Exodus chapter 15 we have what is called the song of Moses and it says here just a couple of verses 
Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. What would move Moses to write words like that? A first-hand look at the incredible power of God. As we look backward today, where do you find the handiwork of God in your life? Christmas distraction is upon us. Let's be very intentional as a people this year of not fighting the fight about keeping Christ in Christmas. As my son-in-law said yesterday, why don't we fight the fight of keeping Christ in the Christian life instead? And part of the nature of the Christian life is a constant awareness of the hand of God as you look backward. In your life. Thanksgiving past. But Thanksgiving past. Leads us to Thanksgiving present. And since some of us seem to struggle with living in the present. Let's stop for just a moment here. And let's trace God's hand in our lives today. Why are you here today? Now, probably, if we took each individual person and said, why are you here? We would find answers that would go into three different categories, probably. First of all, there would be the category that said, well, I have to be here. All right? Some children would be quick to answer that way. I'm here because I know that I can't live in my house with my parents if I don't go to church. By the way, if you have children living in your house, that's not a bad rule to have. We had it at our house for a long time. Others would say, well, I'm at church because of the social part of it. And into that tends to fall the business side of it. It's just good business to go to church where you can deal with people that have contacts and that kind of thing. But that third category is the one that people would say, well, I'm there because I know that it's part of how I must worship God in my life. So that begs the question, why do you need to worship God? And the answer is because today, God is real. Today, God is alive. Today, he is worthy of worship. And it's something that that same God who is worthy of worship today and yesterday, that same God says, I have a relationship with you. I want you to be friends with me. I want to have communion with you. Not in this sense that we're going to be doing in a little bit, but in the sense that says I want to heart connect with you on a daily basis. One of the things that we as a staff try to make sure happens is that when you come to church on any given Sunday, you walk out and you're able to say, I had an encounter with the living God there today. Our family gathered together. Most of us, at least my side of the family, 
on Thursday and part of the weekend, the others were here, but on Thursday is when we all got together. And I, as I sat and looked at the chaos that is the Road Trammel family gathering, I was struck with the difficulty of the last few months in our family. Sometimes that backward look is painful for us. But as I sat and looked and I watched and I observed how our family uh, communicates and loves each other, it was a blessing for me, even in spite of the pain, to watch as those individuals connected. Because the connection that they have is not just because we're eating at the same time at the same table. It's because we have a common history with God himself who has brought us through some painful times, some happy times. But as we gathered together on that day with all of the emotions of this time of the year in our family, we gathered together and it was a clear evidence that God is still alive for us. And that ought to drive us to thanksgiving. You may not like all the people in your family. You may not like when they all get together. But the fact that you draw breath, if you can't find any other reason today to be thankful to God, the fact that you're still drawing breath is an evidence that he has not left you. Which pushes me to Thanksgiving future. This is what I call Thanksgiving on credit. There's a lot of reasons as we look around the world today to be in despair rather than hopeful. (laughs) The events that happened in Missouri over the last week or two, I'm sick of seeing them on TV and I'm more sick of seeing them commented on in social media. But you know the reality of that is the reason it's such a big deal is because it's a big deal in our society. It's just another indicator that in our society, things are not good. And it would be easy for us as Christian people to buy into and jump onto that bandwagon that says it's all getting blown away. What kind of reason do we have as Christian people to hope and to look forward and to thank God ahead of time for what might happen? Let me give you a couple of scriptural examples on this one. Back to that situation with Moses and the children of Israel. They'd gone through all of these plagues and they finally get to the one that's going to be the last one. We're in Exodus chapter 12 now, so go there with me. In Exodus chapter 12, before the Passover of the death angel, before that definitive act that God would pull on Egypt that would cause the Pharaoh to say, y'all just get out of here. There is a conversation that happens, Exodus chapter 12, and in verse 14, here's what we find. This day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Here's what I find intriguing about that statement. This is before the fact. Now, God knows what he's about to do. Moses takes it on faith. 
If God said he's going to do something, Moses essentially says, you better pack your bags because God's good for what he says. Right? Do you believe that in your life, first of all? So then what does God say to you? Into the face of despair in a country that seems to be ripping itself apart and wholesale running, sprinting away from God. What kind of hope do we have? Well, we'll see a couple of other things before it's all said and done. But one of the main things that we have is that God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll take you to one better than that when it's all said and done. By the time we get to the end of Jesus' earthly life, by the time we get to the end of this thing we call Scripture, we find these promises just strewn across the landscape of the future. I'm coming back. I'm not done down there. In the end, when it's all said and done, Jesus says, I'm going to ride in on a white horse and save the day. A lot of reasons to be in despair. But there's more reasons as we look to the future to hold on. So God says to Moses, on credit, you tell these people to do this. And after the fact... You don't see yet what I'm going to do, but I know what's coming later. So after the fact, remember this. And to this day, Jews still remember the day that we're talking about out of the book of Exodus chapter 12. And then we drop down to verses 24 and 25. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. These people are still... Captives, slaves in Egypt. And here's God saying, verse 25, And when you come to the land that the Lord God will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. If we will listen to the voice of God, and if we will hold to his hand as he walks us through the past And the present, we can hear him whisper over our shoulders, there's coming a day when I'm going to set it all straight. And so we can be thankful for that ahead of time. Thanksgiving future. It's the Thanksgiving on credit. And in the deepest, darkest now of your life, you can always know that God says there's coming a day. So be thankful. One last example here. John chapter 11. It's the event of Lazarus being raised from the dead. One of the great stories of the New Testament is one of those that just seizes our attention. But as we come to this, there's another piece of this that often gets kind of brushed aside We don't let it speak the way I think that it ought to speak to us. And so in John chapter 11, verses 41 and following, as Jesus now is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, verse 41 says, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, the prayer is just now starting. And yet Jesus is referring backwards. In verse 42, I knew that you always hear me. You see the difference in the tenses of the verbs. I knew that you always hear me. 
But I said on this account, I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus says in prayer aloud so that those people around can hear it. Thanksgiving future, I thank you that you've heard me. They don't know what's about to happen. But you and I do. And so he says into the midst of that Lazarus come forth. And we know how it ends. Some of life's greatest heartaches occur. As we walk through day by day. And just do life together. I was saying to our fun bunch a couple of weeks ago. This time of the year is one of the hardest times historically in our family. Some of the greatest heartache in our family has occurred during the Thanksgiving season. That would be easy for us to just kind of bypass it and ignore it. That's how a lot of people deal with tragedy. They just kind of push it off to the side and move on. But here's the deal for us. As we come to the Thanksgiving season... What better time of the year to be reminded that as we look backwards and we see pain, we still see the hand of God. That moves us into the middle of the right now. And we know that if he's brought us from there to here, he's not going to drop us now. And we always have that reminder to look forward, to push forward. The one that says, he's never going to drop us. He's never going to abandon us to the darkness of the day. That is being blessed ahead of time. It gives you staying power in the now as you look forward. That's Thanksgiving past, present, and future. And it leads me and it leads us directly into our discussion and our observance of the Lord's Supper. Because as we come to the Lord's Supper, one of the things that we see here is that backward look. Jesus says to his disciples, we're doing this and I want you to do this after I'm gone. They don't even get that at this point in his life. But after I'm gone, I want you to continue to do this. There's the future look. It's the one that says, I am here now. What you're about to see is going to be the darkest of darkness for you. But when it's all said and done, and as we move forward, you look backwards and you remember. Well, what do you do with that memory? Well, for us today, 2,000 years later, we look backwards and we remember, and it causes us to be thankful. Because where would we be if Jesus hadn't done that sacrifice, hadn't been that sacrifice for us? So when we come together as a church and we do the Lord's Supper together, we look backwards to that moment, that sacrificial time. We call it the cross event. It's what Easter is all about for us. And it has to move us to Thanksgiving. It has to. So in a few moments as we get the deacons here and we start passing this stuff out, it's more than just a little bit of unleavened bread and grape juice. It's that symbolic reminder for us as we look backwards at the high price of sin and the greatness of God's grace. Be thankful for that. Own your own sin when it comes to that moment and be grateful 
that Jesus Christ took it away. But we also come to the present part of this. And it's the celebration time. It's where I started off talking this morning. It's as we as the body of Christ that is called Crestwood Baptist Church. As we gather together, we come into it from two different services, two different approaches to how we do worship together. We come not just as two different pieces of Crestwood. We come as a family, but we come as individuals who go into the all parts of our world and yet gather together on Sunday to say we come to worship. And the only reason we do that is because Jesus Christ is still alive. The backward look, not just the cross event, but we look back through all of those years of church history and we take our place today in the long line of believers who do this very thing in their own ways, in their own customs. But we take our place in that long line of church history to say we, like you, believe in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. A backward look that has legs in the present. But Jesus is quick to remind his disciples on that night in that upper room. There's going to come a day when we're going to do this together again. But it won't be in an upper room. Well, it will be in an upper room of sorts, I suppose. But it won't be hidden away. It'll be the event of history. As all of those who call on the name of the Lord gather together and feast because that same Jesus has ridden in on a white horse swinging a sword of justice and grace that reaches into our lives. Past, present, future. You may not be a big Thanksgiving person. I would encourage you to rethink that position if that's the case because even if your life is bad, the life that he gives is the only one worth living. And this season should remind us of that. Let's pray together. As we come to prayer, I want to give this invitation to you. We come to this time... Sometimes we just kind of assume that everything is the same and everything's okay and everything is the way it was when we left the house. The reality is when we come and the word of the Lord goes out, the Holy Spirit takes that and he works in the lives of his people. And some of you are there and you're hearing these things and maybe God's nudging you into reflecting on some of those words, but maybe he's dealing with you about something else in your life. And that part of your life right now wins the day. You can't get away from the struggle. You can't get away from the thoughts. You can't get away with walking away, even though that's what you want to do. It may be that God is working with you because you're not his child. Those past mistakes of your life loom large and you look backwards and there's nothing but pain there. The good news that I have for you is that Jesus Christ steps into the midst of that and today can wash all of that away for you. Do you know Christ as your Savior? He 
come to the point in your life that you realize you just can't do it on your own. The struggle is getting to you. Where's Jesus in your life? Do you have a relationship with God through him? If you don't, right there where you sit, the invitation for you is that you trust him with your life. Trust him with your future. Trust him to be your savior. All you really have to do is acknowledge him to be who he is, claims to be, and he is, in fact, the son of God who came in the flesh and was the sacrifice for the sin of mankind. You just turn to him, trust him, give your life to him. He promises to take you and you become his child. You have a future with him and you have a present that is marked by the Holy Spirit in your life as God walks you through the pain and the victories of this life. It's a matter of just inviting him to be your Savior. I could give you the words, the best words that you could give are the ones that you have in your heart. But it's a giving of yourself to him. I invite you to do that if you've never come to the point in your life that you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Right now should be that time for you. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I'm yours. I don't understand it all. But what I understand, I step into that and I ask you to be my Savior. If you make that choice, I would invite you to catch me when this service is over and let's talk about it some more. Bible says that's a new birth and there's a growth process that comes on the backside of that. When Jesus says, as we're going to be reminded in this Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me, he's pointing backwards to that time that you now must do business with. He died for you. Many of us made that choice. But our lives are not really reflective of that. Oh, we've got the cultural Christianity of East Texas. But as to that daily communion, that close, ever-deepening walk with Jesus Christ, it's just not there. We're stuck in the past. And the present is not all that great because of it. Father, as we come to this time, this invitation time, We pray that right now you would be at work in the hearts of these folks. All of us, that we would do business with you. That as we look backwards, we see the sacrifice that you made for us. As we live in the present, that we would know without a doubt that we are your children because of Jesus Christ and no other reason. Which gives us a glorious future. For all of those things, we say thank you. We pray that you would help those things to carry enough weight in us that they would cause us to change the way we approach every day of living. We pray these things in Jesus' name, who is our Savior and our King, our Lord, our friend, God himself. We say thank you in his name.